you're listening to the podcast edition of One Love, One Planet. Now, COP27 is coming up in a couple of weeks' time. And many of you may remember COP26 in Glasgow. I think that's probably why most of us have heard of it now, because it was local. Um, well, next, this year, it's in Egypt. Um, and there is a certain amount of controversy surrounding it, I have to say. Um, there are, for example, a number of campaigners who don't feel that it's safe for them to go there because they may well be persecuted and ending ending up in prison. Um, and there was another recent announcement in the news that has also proved to be highly, highly controversial. And that is that Coca-Cola um, is going to be the main sponsor of the summit. I caught up with Georgia Elliott Smith, who I saw on Twitter... Um, was very, very angry about this and she started a petition. So here she is telling us all about it. Yes, my name's Georgia Elliott-Smith. I'm the managing director and founder of a sustainability consultancy called Element 4 and we work with corporates, um, mainly in the real estate sector but in all kinds of businesses, trying to really drive meaningful change on climate and environment. Um, my background is that I'm a, an engineer uh, in the construction sector um, and I'm a former UNESCO Special Junior Envoy for Youth and the Environment. So um, apart from my work, I'm just super passionate about environmental issues and uh, I'm an activist. Um, I've been an activist for a few years now, um, which has been an interesting journey because obviously as an environmental professional for many years, uh, I came to realise that our profession was not doing what it should be doing. And so now I'm kind of a an activist as well as a, I call myself kind of a professional activist, really, because I really challenged my industry uh, to do better. Um, last year as well, I took the UK government to court over failure to price carbon emissions. Um, so I'm trying to do as much as I can for meaningful change. You are a rare breed, actually. Aren't you? Well, not rare, but I always think sort of women engineers in construction. How? What are the numbers like now? Oh, really woefully, woefully few. I mean, we do have more women now than we had when I first started. You know, I was always the only woman on site, uh, apart from the secretary um, and the only woman in design team meetings. Now... Thankfully, there are far more female architects. Um, there are some female engineers and a growing number. But yeah, we're, we're definitely still a rare breed. And I think it's quite sad that, you know, that, that women are not taking engineering uh, type disciplines at school and university because they, they're some of the best professionals I work with, the women. They're really mm. good. Uh, and uh, I would love to see more women in the industry. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I know a, a lot has been done, hasn't it, to do this. And I'd love to talk to you more about this, about women in construction and the culture and what it's like to work in it and all that stuff. But I think we might have to save that for another time, frustratingly. Yeah. Um, right. The first thing I, I'd like to um, 
talk to you first about you went to COP last year, didn't you? Yes. Could you tell us about that, please? What that was like, what you were doing there and, mm. and what it was like? Okay, so I attended COP26 as what's called a legal observer. So that means I was representing a charity, a French charity called Saving Our Planet. And they had asked me to attend in order to observe the proceedings. So attending the conference sessions and reporting back to them about the discussions and what was going on, but also to bear witness really to what's going on behind these closed doors. Uh, and that's a very important democratic part of this process that the discussions that go on in these conference sessions are observed by NGOs uh, and other sort of uh, suitable observers. So that's what I was doing there. I became really quite disillusioned and I was very shocked when I was there because I had never been to a COP before and what shocked me most was the sort of circus that goes on around these negotiations. So if you imagine COP is sort of like layers of an onion, the heart of it is the national delegations and ministers and civil servants who are there to discuss their nation's role in reducing carbon emissions and working towards achieving the Paris Agreement, which is keeping global warming below 1.5 degrees centigrade. Yeah. Now, that that's the nub of it. But then around that, you have these layers. And, and those discussions go on in what's called the blue zone, which is, like I say, the very heart of this event. Then outside of the blue zone, you have something called the green zone. And the green zone is really what I call the circus, because that's where there are tens of thousands of delegates, you know, pass holders who are corporates, they are lobbyists, they are NGOs, they are country representatives who are not part of the negotiating delegations, but are there um, really for these talks and exhibitions and things that go on around the outside. And that's what I found the most shocking about COP. <laughs> I, do you know, I had a real shock last year because I naively thought, um, I think partly because of a couple of people who I knew were going to the green zone, mm. that the green zone was all the sort of charities and campa campaigners and all that, sort of, as it were, the littler people, not the governments, um, but in a way that the people, the very people who needed to be sitting at, at the big tables, as it were. And I didn't realise until quite late on in that week uh, that yeah. it is like you say, yeah. which was shocking because um, it, so it sounds like that the very people who do need to be there are even more on the outside than I thought. Well, what tends to happen is you get corporate lobbyists. So organisations can apply for passes, you know, delegate passes to COP and they go through a selection process and different organisations will get different levels of pass. So some will get access to the blue zone, some will just get access to the green zone, um, you know, and, and the passes for the blue zone increase, uh, include both zones. But what tends to happen is you have these organisations that are made up of corporate lobbyists and they receive passes and then they therefore get their lobbyists into the conference. And 
they have really close contact with ministers, other lobbyists. You know, they're, they're very much in control of the messaging around the conference. Um, and actually, it's very, very difficult for um, campaigners and for particularly people involved in grassroots movements and real change on the ground. It's very difficult for them to get hold of passes at all. So most people are outside of even the green zone because you still have to have a proper delegates pass to even get into the green zone, let alone the blue zone. Most campaigners are completely frozen out and they're just left to sort of uh, protest on the street or to hold fringe events outside COP. And I imagine in Egypt this year, that's going to be even more pronounced, isn't it? Um, I don't know. I don't know how that's going to be. I can only imagine it's going to be broadly the same. Um, I've decided not to attend COP this year. I was so upset by what I saw last year that I've made a deliberate decision not to attend. So I will be participating in conversations and a summit um, that I'm taking part in for a, a group that I'm on the steering committee for, a group called She Changes Climate. And we're holding an alternative COP summit online so that it's accessible to everybody who wants to be part of the conversation. Um, and I feel like that's the right thing to do. I don't want to fly all the way to Egypt to participate in what was just ultimately an extremely depressing experience last year. That sounds amazing. And I was, I put put a, uh, a question out on Twitter to say, are there any alternative cops happening? Um, when is that, when is your She Changes Climate, when is that happening? So our summit is taking place on the 4th of November. It's online, it's free to attend. Um, so I believe it's through Eventbrite, but certainly if you go online and look f uh, at the She Changes Climate website, so that's shechangesclimate.org, um, you'll be able to find details there. Fantastic. Right. Now, let's get to why, <laughs> why I wanted to talk to you in the first place. You have started a, a petition. Can you tell us what that petition is and why you did it? So about a week and a half ago, it was announced by the organisers of COP27 that Coca-Cola had become the main sponsor of the conference. And when I heard that, my heart just broke. Mm. Coca-Cola is the world's biggest plastic polluter. They produce 200,000 single-use disposable plastic bottles a minute. And many of those bottles are sold into economies that have no formal waste management system. And so they end up being burned on open bonfires. They end up being um, left in the streets, uh, piling up, you know, in rivers and ultimately getting into the oceans. You know, and, and not only that, but Coca-Cola has a very, very long history of targeted lobbying to delay, derail and block regulations that would prevent plastic pollution. So they actively participate in blocking deposit return schemes. They have interfered in things like the EU Plastics Treaty. They have um, prevented recycling schemes in developing countries like Kenya, Bolivia, Uruguay. And it's, there's just a constant stream of leaked documents that show that this is just part of their corporate culture. And, you know, evidence takes us up until 2021 that they were still participating in these dirty tricks. 
And so I feel so strongly that Coca-Cola has no part in being associated with COP. And I find it really upsetting and frustrating that the United Nations and the organisers of COP27 feel that this is appropriate and are allowing Coca-Cola to greenwash their brand in this way. So you have set up a petition. Can you tell us about the petition, where it is and how, you know, how what, what, what you're expecting to get from it or hoping to get from it? Well, my, my hopes change every day, actually. So I set up a, a petition at change.org. So if you go to change.org and you search for Coca-Cola COP27, you'll find the petition. It's already been translated into six languages. Um, so, you know, I, I started this, as I say, a, a couple of weeks ago. And at first I was just hoping to break through 10,000 signatures. And then we got to that really quickly. And then I thought, oh my goodness, is it going to get to a hundred? And then it, and then we burst through a hundred thousand and we're currently today at 170,000 signatures. Um, and so I've been speaking to the wonderful people at change.org who've been, um, helping me and giving me ideas about ways to to share this because I want as many people as possible to see this and and also get angry about it and realize you know the the depth of this corporate greenwashing that's going on so um my ambition is to try and get it to a million signatures so I'm really trying to get it out there get it shared you know get it super global because this is a, a problem that affects everybody in the world you know there is no ecosystem in the world that is not polluted by plastic um and that is an absolute travesty and and coca-cola for four years running has been named the world's top plastic polluter yeah Um, and and actually i I mean i was thinking about it because it's was it it was it's a un body isn't it mm -hmm, that has sort of accepted this and i can't help feeling that if antonio guterres (laughs) sort of had a hand in this he always seems so sort of passionate and like he's one maybe I'm wrong maybe I don't know but I can't help thinking if if he'd had a hand in the decision he wouldn't have been happy I agree I think that uh the COP27 organizers which is uh, to give them their long name it's the UNFCCC secretariat um they have rules about how to accept partnerships with business and they are supposed to undertake a really thorough due diligence exercise. And I feel strongly that that can't have happened in this case. Um, So I would like some answers. And once we get to a really significant number of signatures, um, I will be asking some very serious questions of the organisers. And I would really like Antonio Guterres to respond to this news and tell us what he thinks of it because you know the UN is a massive organization so I'm sure he doesn't have a hand in in all things Mm. but I think that this is something that outrages everybody who sees it and I think he would definitely have strong words to say so I'd like to hear them. Yeah absolutely Um, now playing devil's advocate here and also I know that lots of people would want to say to you but hang on what about engagement? What about the fact that they might, if you always ignore these companies, there is never going to be any dialogue. There's never going to be any meeting of the paths. And maybe there is there are some people in, in Coca-Cola who genuinely want to do some good and start making changes. Yeah. What would you say to them? I would agree. Um, 
there are good people everywhere. And I'm absolutely sure that there are many good people working for Coca-Cola. However, what I would also say is that the story of Coca-Cola is littered with uh, examples of lobbying, of uh, breaking promises, of backtracking on commitments to do with the environment. And so I think that history demonstrates that we cannot take them seriously, any promises that they make today until they really start showing us that they can be trusted. Um, I also think that, you know, it, it, business is going to do what business is going to do, given the prevailing system. So I almost don't blame Coca-Cola for getting away with it, you know, because they they make a lot of money. And essentially, that's what business exists for, is to create value for shareholders. So they're doing what they do. My problem really is with the regulators. I do not believe that polluters belong at the negotiating table. I believe in strong government. And I believe that if you create the right regulatory environment, so for example, if there was a carbon tax, uh, if we priced oil correctly, um, if we banned certain types of uh, pollution or single-use plastics, I think that then we would allow the business sector to innovate and we would really drive them into delivering their products in a way that was more responsible. I don't really understand this fetish for having the polluters at the table. Everybody says to me, you know, oh, well, they should be there. You know, we need to engage them in dialogue. I don't think we do. I just think we need to properly regulate. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and in fact, I was at um, the Blue Earth Summit in Bristol a couple of days ago, and there were some people from different companies who were all connected with the outdoors in some way. So a couple of them were doing outdoor clothing. And they all said that they have, they set their own standards and they're very high, but it costs them a lot. And so they're not competing on a level playing field yes, with all exactly. the other parts. And they've sent an open letter to to our to the UK government and I think possibly to the EU as well saying look you need to regulate us <laughs> we need standards across the board um, and they're prepared to take them because they are already doing it but I think I do think you're right because as long as the the polluter is at the table then we're not going to be getting the kind of changes that we need to get and yes. it does sound like more the more and more I hear about what's happening in Egypt and the fact that many of the people who need to be there actually can't be there because then their lives would be in danger, uh, which is another big element as well. Um, so going back to your petition, um, the th it, it does sound like even if, it, if nothing tangible comes of it, there will be that intangible thing that you are actually helping to raise a big, big problem because people tend to see COP as something that's going to save us. Mm. Um, and it sounds increasingly like it's not. And it's the alternative COPs, actually, where the mm. real change might lie. Yes, I think that um, really engagement at COP, uh, you know, it's interesting. It's a, it's a good platform for people to, to be there. But actually... The real work takes place outside of COP, you know, for the for the other 360 days of the year. Um, so we all need to participate in positive lobbying, as you say. You know, it's really important that business leaders engage in positive lobbying aligned with sustainable development goals. It's important that 
um, regular citizens get politically involved. You know, they could uh, write to their MPs, they could uh, publicise uh, protests and resistance and make that a positive thing in society, um, amplify these voices of protest and really get people thinking about these messages instead of digging them um, digging them deep or burying them under the carpet. Um, and I think, you know, there are there are so many ways that people can get involved. This partition is one, and I my ambition for the petition is that it will not just be people sign on a petition and never hear anything again. Because I'm really sick, not just of Coca-Cola sponsoring COP, but last year at, at, at COP26, Unilever was the main sponsor. And again, you know, Unilever is in the top uh, league of plastic polluters with exactly the same issues. And I just don't believe these major polluters belong at these conferences. So it will be my mission now to get the United Nations to entirely remove these polluters as sponsors um, and just try to disperse that circus that sits around these really serious events. So um, if people sign, you know, the, the petition, I'll be updating people regularly on what I'm doing, not just for this COP, but for longer term, uh, trying to get rid of the greenwash and confront the UN to take their responsibilities seriously. Oh, well, I just think we have to end it there. That is fantastic. You, you are an amazing advocate for this, Georgia. Um, and please do keep keep me updated and I'll, I'll let our listeners know and you are doing a really important thing um so thank you so much for coming on the show to tell us all about it and best of luck thank you so much thanks for having me summit there was so much going on there it's basically a summit for businesses who are connected with the outdoors because so many of the people who run the businesses who work in them also are very very outdoorsy people themselves they see the effects of what's happening basically to the earth um, and so there is obviously a very strong connection between those businesses and trying to do some good for the planet um, and I attended a session about political activism so I've just put this together to give you a flavour of the kind of thing that was being talked about when we were there and the first person we hear from is Dan Yates from Protect Our Winters. My role at PAL is I'm the European partnership manager so it's my job to work with the outdoor industry with brands with their athletes and enable them to drive systemic change. We're at the point in the conversation on climate now where we know that personal action is no longer gonna cut it. It's not about upping your recycling or using a better coffee cup anymore. We need to drive systemic change through policy, we need to drive change through business, and we need to try drive change through the financial sector, financial section as well. The whole point of the Blue Earth Summit here is to inspire, to connect, and to act. And we at PAL have formed a collaboration of the outdoor industry and have created a clear call to action for everybody today. So if you're a brand and you want to act on legislative change, then come and see us straight after this. If you're a consumer who has a favorite brand, go and get your brand and bring them here to take action today on this change. If you're an athlete, 
and you have a sponsor who is a brand, bring them to this stage today because after this they can take a firm action on driving legislative change and take action on that. And so, what so we're taking that loss to then try to figure out, okay, is this sustainable? Is this environmentally beneficial? Is this good for people? Is this good for planet? We're doing it at a loss and we need legislation to then reward us for trying something new and possibly better for people on the planet. Yeah, I completely echo that. My name is Kyle. I work for a company called Flexihex. So we're a sustainable paper packaging company who we're trying to tackle single-use plastic in e-commerce. We're uh, based in Cornwall, so predominantly we're all surfers. So, yeah, what, what we saw, that it's, it's a cool little story of how, how we got started. So our founders are, are massive surfers, and they started seeing a lot of plastic in the water. Um, and they realised that when they were buying surfboards, um, for example, it was a really bad uh, customer experience. There was plenty of bubble wrap, plastic, and there had to be a more sustainable way of doing it. So, yeah, we, we created a, a totally recyclable product that can be used time and time again. So it's, it's more buys into that circular economy philosophy. Yeah, so my name's Lily. Um, I'm from Nude Plastic Free Chewing Gum, and I'm their brand manager. Um, and we are one of the plastic free chewing gums um, that are on a mission to rid the world of plastic gum because in regular chewing gum, there's as much plastic in each piece as a plastic straw, and we've all been chewing that. Okay, I'm Avril and I'm the uh, co-founder and CMO of a for-purpose or purpose-driven company called Cleaner Group. So we're on a mission to remove microplastics from the environment, which is a, it's a big mission, it's a big goal. <laughs> we've actually, um, we've started with a microfiber filter for washing machines. Uh, we have a domestic retrofit that will fit pretty much most washing machines and also an integrated filter. Uh, we're working with washing machine manufacturers um, to um, actually develop a, a similar system to the retrofit that will be integrated in new washing machines. Amazing. Um, can you tell me what did you think about that session today that we've just heard? Uh, I really enjoyed that session. Um, there was so, oh my gosh, where do we start? Because there were so many brilliant points in there. Um, legislation, we, they were, the panel were talking about legislation um, in terms of making change and, and making it a level playing field for manufacturers. Um, I think that's a really good point. Um, you know, when you've got companies that are, are producing fast fashion, how does somebody doing the right thing how do they compete with that and do the right thing? That's very difficult. Um, so yeah, standardising that and legislation that you know, or just standards really helps that cause. Um, so I thought those were really interesting points. I'm just trying to think of all my. I was writing like a crazy thing. I had so many takeaways. The other one that I thought was really interesting was that you know, doing the right thing is often the more expensive thing, and. I find that time and time again, and um, it shouldn't be, uh, Adam said, you know, it shouldn't be the more expensive option, it should be the entry point, and I think that's so true. How do we achieve that? You know, <laughs> it, we need to look at that bigger holistic picture, um, 
So yeah, that was that was another great takeaway that I really agreed with. Um, I could go on for probably hours. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I was taking loads of notes. It was packed full of really, really good. The, the whole business about um, the fair transition for the countries who were producing Absolutely. all that. You know, yeah. is that relevant to you? Where is your stuff produced? Yeah, um, in it's uh, it's going to be produced in Malaysia. We're actually working with a UK company, um, but in terms of scaling and keeping the cost down as much as we could because we want to make it affordable for people the only way that we could do that was to manufacture in Malaysia um, we dearly wanted to make it in the UK um, but like I say we also really want to make it affordable for people so that was a big driver for us um, and yeah so the the company the manufacturer we're working with has good sort of social standards ethical standards that again obviously really important to us um, we're trying to ensure that everything we do we tick those those boxes of um, you know people planet and health really then you can sign the open letter which is just open now so you can go to protect our winters Europe hit the link in the bio and there you'll find the sign-on form to sign up to this open letter if you're a consumer ask your favorite brand to sign on to the open letter if you're an athlete ask your sponsor to sign on to our open letter and it will be delivered in the beginning of November before COP27 uh, and you'll see it across the media of our media and this media here but this letter will be effective if all the brands that work in this space that want these changes that we're talking about to enable their sustainability journey to move forward and to drag those other companies either in the outdoor industry or in the other textile or hardware industries with them and all you need to do is come and see us sign on to that letter and that will be put in front of political decision makers, we've done a full stakeholder mapping of the people that this needs to go to, so it can be targeted to the most effective places, and that will be open from now, basically. Presumably it sounds like you will be signing this letter, this open letter that they talked about, will you? 100% I will, yeah, um, and I've had a quick chat with Dan after to say that he's 100% got cleaner seas support, um, you know, we're involved in... Um, legislation in the UK, we're part of the all-party parliamentary groups, or the cross-party um, parliamentary group for microplastics in the UK, and I know how difficult it can be to actually drive legislation through, um, but it is so important, and it really does change, you know, it, it, it is just creating that, um, that standard and enforces change, doesn't it? And I think, you know, we have to have We've got to change consumer behaviour and I think the consumer quite often like we work with grassroots um, community or uh, grassroots community level and I think changing behaviour there so that influences governmental kind of legislation as well is really important. But yeah there's so much positivity in at this at this Blue Earth Summit and I think you know we're really fortunate to be here we can see firsthand the, the actual change and you know the power of just you know an individual or a small group and yeah what it can do for the future of, of the planet but yeah it's, it's a tough time we're living in at the moment but I think it's so important that what these conversations here are being portrayed to, to everyone else those people who think that you know you just can't change every single industry this shows that you absolutely can if you've got the commitment and the dedication and, and the right voices and the right heads you so can you just need to get the investment and this is what the future could look like well, very best of luck to all those businesses and impassioned individuals doing so much. Uh, it's really good to see.
welcome to my weekly eco tips, a little bubble of positivity and possibility in a world where it can feel hard to make a difference. This week we're talking about vampire power. It's a really simple one, but this could save you an average of 16% on your fuel bills. Just turn things off. Any electrical device with a standby function, usually a little red light, is constantly draining energy when not switched off at the mains. The worst devices for this are microwaves, televisions, computers, games consoles, satellite receivers, internet routers, printers and mobile phone chargers. So now I know this, I'm going to try switching the router off when I go to bed from now on. I also highly recommend using the term vampire power to kids. It sounds really cool. And as, cons- and as a consequence, mine have become forensic in their search for things to turn off. So I consider my job here done.